hello and welcome to Farm Buds, compounding professional narratives with student perspectives. I'm Sierra. And I'm Liz. Today we are joined by Dr. Alessandra Venosa, Assistant Professor in the Pharmacology and Toxicology Department at the University of Utah. So thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited that you're here. Um, You're kind of our first, like, um, research forward person that we've had. We've had a lot of um, pharmacotherapy faculty members in the past, so we're very excited to have you. So I guess we'll start with kind of a satirical question. How did you find yourself working with pharmacy students? So the the beauty of how I have been trained or how I got into research in the first place has paired me with pharmacy in general. Uh, I got my PharmD, and I'm happy to discuss some of those elements later on as well. But as I finished my degree, uh, I found a position as a graduate student in the College of Pharmacy at Rutgers University. And that's where I started pairing the component of research and pharmacology to the the TA ship, the teaching assistantship uh, to pharmacy students. And apparently I continued in searching involuntarily um, positions that were paired up with College of Pharmacy so that I could continue exposure to the students as well as continue research that was associated with pharmacy and pharmacology. So what you're saying is you exploited your PharmD to get into research into the pharmacy school. We see you. We see you. I'm just kidding. There's a well. There's a there's a truth. He to, wanted a lab, people. He wanted a lab. Just kidding. Well, so that's the part that is actually <laughs> weird, and it wasn't that I necessarily looked for a position mm-hmm. as a graduate student. I I ended up falling into a lab that was associated with pharmacy, mm, that's and cool. so I realized that the training in pharmacy yeah. was better suited to me in the purpose of understanding the pharmacology more yeah. than delivering the, the outcome, so yeah. the, the, the pills and whatever. That makes sense. Hmm. Well, that's why we invited you on. Thank so you. We wanted, we wanted to see the blend of PharmD and, and PhD and research, so this is exciting. So with that, what educational training do you have? So the PharmD itself, uh, where I got, I got it in, in Italy, mm-hmm. uh, was designed for me to pair up both a research component as well as the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Italy, it's designed slightly different from what it is here. Uh, there, you basically commit to a route, either a research route or a pharmacy-only route. Uh, and I thought that doing more meant that the value of my degree would have been different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to some extent, I'm just glad that I picked that because in Italy, most of the people that actually take the non-research route are actually progeny of people who own a pharmacy. Um, and so if you don't have okay. a pharmacy, it's a little trickier because uh, in Italy, uh, pharmacies get passed on family oh. instead of uh, other merit-related reasons, which yeah. is annoying. Oh. I did not know that. It's so <laughs> did you go into pharmacy school thinking that you were going to take a research track? <laughs> so Do you that, have family in pharmacy, first of all? No. So I was the first one oh. in my family who actually got a, a post-high school degree. Okay. Uh, and the only reason why I picked pharmacy 
as usual. It's not because I planned it that way, but I've always had science or science-adjacent teachers who told me that I wasn't cut for science. And I'm a very stubborn person. And so the question that I asked was, what university can I go to that does not have a... an admission exam at a cost that I could apply to. And if I get in, I will show them off. Mm-hmm. And this, the College of Pharmacy at the University of Urbino has no fees and you can apply freely. I was able to get in. And then from there, I just wanted to literally just go back to my teachers and say, see, I, you were wrong all along. Oh, gosh. Have you sent some passive aggressive emails? Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. No, but I... I, when I read, especially early on when I was a graduate student, I used to return back to high school and just showcasing and say, would you like me to say a few words to the students? I, cause I wanted to brag a little bit. The, the reasoning behind my, my whole career is kind of strange, but then I found the right place. So it's all good. Yeah. So you're being stubborn pays off apparently sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. Sometimes it's true. So did you ever see yourself going into a clinical practice in Italy? Or was the dream always research? As I, so it's a five-year college uh, experience uh, in pharmacy there. And I think the first two years when you get more of a broader uh, exposure to pharmacy-related component, I realized that I wasn't as into the the canonical pharmacy practice. Mm-hmm. And so without having to completely quit, uh, I, I looked for alternatives. What could I have done with this degree or with the options that were available within the, the college? And so the research became a little more dominant. That makes sense. Huh. Interesting. Huh. I'm, I'm still just stuck with five years. Five-year pharmacy school, what is that? What do you do for five years? What makes it five years? I don't know. Well, there's in those five years, the last year is nine months where you work in pharmacies. Okay. So the last year is mostly where you learn about the laws, when mm-hmm. when you learn how to handle yourself in, okay. in, 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 within a pharmacy. Uh, you can pick actually multiple rotations where you can do, just like here a yeah. little bit, where you do maybe a little clinical pharmacy, a little... Uh, Others, other sorts of pharmacies. That, yeah. That's as far as I got. I, I tried one type of pharmacy. I realized that I'm not bad at human interactions, but in the context of pharmacy, I'm not necessarily as willing to partake into the back and forth of people who have yeah. heard for the drug. I bought the drug for the first time and already know more yeah. about it. And so I thought that it was a better, yeah. <laughs> better fit for me to be further out. On that exposure. Yeah. It can be kind of transactional in community pharmacy sometimes. So maybe you can help us understand in Italy, um, do you feel like community pharmacies are set up to be very transactional or do people come in with general health questions to pharmacies sometimes? Or how does that look in comparison to the U.S.? It might also depend on the region mm-hmm. uh, in Italy because I come from a very rural, small uh region not very populated in general. So just like for family doctors, pharmacists have a role of 
being the the medical experts. So people actually do come in with the the questions of, uh, I have this problem. Do you have a suggestion what I should do? Uh, a little more than it would happen perhaps in a larger city like Rome or, or Milan. I need to visit Italy. This is interesting. I yeah, I think that's the real takeaway from uh, this yeah, conversation. We're going to Italy. That there might be exchange programs to some. I need to figure this extent. out. This is wild. Uh, in Italy, I know that there is an exchange program with the College of Pharmacies in Greece, with my university, just oh. because we are on the coast where Greece faces uh, faces us. So, I think that they set it up just by chance, yeah. but they are always open to welcome uh, people with different backgrounds to be able to complement or yeah. add on to their exposure. Plus, it's cheaper to do pharmacy in Italy. <laughs> oh, great. Good to know. It is really good to know. Um, so what brought you to the University of Utah? Yeah. Um, let's see. So that one is a tricky one because not that I had anything against Utah, but I never considered uh, Utah uh, or the central states, Mountain West region, as a as a destination, mostly because when you read research articles, you you find that dominance of coastal universities. So you inadvertently start valuing those as the only institutions. Mm -hmm. But as I was approaching my third year as a postdoc, I realized that I needed somewhat of a balance because I tend to just head down and just science, science, science. And so I was looking for places where there was a more verbal agreement in terms of balancing the research aspect to the personal life and the personal growth aspect. And when I applied for the University of Utah and I came here, it became clear that there was, a, you go at the pace, the best suits you to be most efficient and most successful. And so that kind of... Uh, was like triggered my brain in a very positive manner mm -hmm. uh, and immediately I was drawn by it. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel like your work-life balance is better now than it was when you were a postdoc? That's a tricky one. Um, I've definitely done more personal growth here than I've done in my postdoc for sure. I've also spent considerable amount of time in the lab uh, in the weekends or holidays, uh, nevertheless. Mm -hmm. So I think I am more aware of sometimes the fact that I've spent too much time and then catch myself and, lay, and go back into a more balanced situation, but I'm naturally drawn to overdo it a little bit. Well, it's good that you like what you do. I call that addiction. Yeah. Well, everyone knows that the breakthroughs happen on holidays and weekends. And no sleep. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lie that the PIs tell you to get you to come here. That could also be. They don't have to lie. They can just ask me. I'll come. Okay. See, because you have the same addiction. Sociopath addiction. Yeah, you're right. No, it's just, it's just, I think it's just, I'm just inquisitive. You know what I mean? I like to solve puzzles and just kind of be, also, I like to be left alone. Don't yeah, tell my the kid weekend, that. The weekend, the weekends on holidays have that element, the plus side yeah. of you can go at your rhythm. Yeah. If you decide that you're done with it, you're done with it. If you want to continue going, yeah. you go for it. Exactly. 
Exactly. But there is that motivation factor. Like if you don't have it and you, you're not, you, you don't, you can't, you're not a self-operator. I think research is, can be difficult because it's not something that's always just handheld, you know, you mm-hmm. have to. So, um, which follows the next question is kind of a combination. I mean, we, we talked about, um, you know, how you started with a farm D as, um, you know, you just wanted to show off to your teachers that, you know, you can do science. Um, but then I guess, I guess we talked about also pursuing a PhD because you like that research component, but then that follow-up is what type of research do you focus on then? So I, I think that that's a part where my brain could not fit in a single box. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized it during the early experiences with research. Uh, and so my research focus ranges a little bit. Uh, it's got elements of Im- immunology and inflammation mm-hmm. because there's no disease state in which immune cells are not participating, mm-hmm. whether principally or just as a surrounding cell. And in addition to that, there is a component of air pollution exposure and pulmonary disease that is fascinating to me because it's probably one of the major organs that you would expect to be exposed to a polluted environment in addition to the skin. And, uh, and then the last component is that throughout my training, I've noticed that there is a very large emphasis on understanding this cellular and molecular mechanism of injury in the context of this very pristine lung. What does happen when a healthy lung gets exposed and what type of immune cells or whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of events are taking place? And then you look at, at the clinic and those are not necessarily the patients that would come in. They're not the healthy 20, 25-year-old people that come in and say, oh, my lungs are irritated and I'm coughing and feeling sick. Yeah. Technically, they are the susceptible populations. Right. And so my goal is to try to put together that immunology, the lung biology, uh, and the exposure sciences in the context of susceptibility to try to understand better what makes certain people respond is slightly different, uh, whether they are older, whether they are... Um, sex differences uh, or or if it's related to pre-existing conditions. And so that's where the majority of my work has been devoted so far has been understanding air pollution in an already remodeled and fibrotic lung hmm. because those patients are probably the most susceptible to exposure. Well, Utah's great for that. Hello, inversion. I know. I'm dying every day. I've never had anything upper respiratory. I've had a stuffy nose, not COVID, not anything, for like ever because of the inversion. I feel like it's just permanent. It's uh, it's definitely not the, the reason why I came here, but it's potentially a reason why I would always have a job in terms of my research field. Yeah, we have a professor at the college who um, is a pharmacist at a pulmonology clinic. And when he comes in on inversion days, he's like, yep, it's going to be a busy day in clinic today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. It's literally the worst. I've never experienced that. I'm from Chicago. I don't know what that is. I would rather deal with Chicago fumes than whatever the inversion is here. It's it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, though, because then you can relate it back to other places as well. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, and like I, I sometimes read about just 
epidemiological data is not the the focus of my research, mm-hmm. but I'm curious on is any of the research that I do relevant beyond the valley right. here in Salt Lake? And then you get some pockets around the world where these events are exactly the same. Yeah. And it also supports a little bit of my hypothesis in terms of researching this aspect of susceptibility uh, in specific regional uh, locations. But can, technically, it could give you also some if you were to develop a clinical trial or if you were to develop at least an observational study, mm-hmm. you can select people from specific regions to test your hypothesis, uh, whether air pollution is impacting people differently if you are from an area that is known to have this type of inversion as compared to clean regions. That makes sense why we'll not be visiting those places. That's for sure. Be sick for a week. Indefinitely sick. Hmm. hmm. What are your career research goals? That, that one is a tricky one. Why uh, is it tricky? Because you just want to research the rest of your life. That's okay. There's an we love that. There's the ego component in addition to the 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 natural passion, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, I think that I can do science better than others. Mm-hmm. I think that I can ask the question and address it better than others. Mm-hmm. And so that is a reason. Is it a driving reason? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But is it in there? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that ultimately is just to advance the field. I just want to. I know that I might not be able to solve the problem, but I just want to inch it forward so that maybe the next person, maybe somebody that I actually get to train in the lab, will take it to the next step and maybe lead to an ultimate benefit. Um, the second reason is because by virtue of advancing in your career, you get to uh, get exposure to service uh, in terms of organizing symposia or conferences or whatnot. That one allows me to reshape how, especially the trainees or even myself, get exposure to things. And because of my interest in some non-canonical path, then I might be able to bring in people that would not talk to each other necessarily mm-hmm. and try to reshape how we uh, idealize or how we study a specific disease state. So I could I could at least move things in a way that I enjoy them better or I would like him to see. This is true. Do you have a question, Sierra? Oh, yes. I have a follow-up question. Okay, because I have a follow-up. Okay. How do you feel like your research is going to influence clinical practice? Ooh. So we're not that close yet. Okay. No, that's all right. Uh, I'll blame it. It's easy right now because I can always blame it on COVID. Um, I have uh, maybe another year before I don't have a justification anymore uh, that I cannot say COVID hindered me mm-hmm. from solving the problem. Uh, but I think that with the, with the original goal that is to identify specific immune cells that are, for lack of a better term, enraged mm-hmm. about the surrounding microenvironment and are very toxic to, to your lungs, um, identifying ways to potentially reprogram them 
to to cool cool down and avoid destroying uh, the surrounding uh, lung as much as they do because they come in with the best intentions. We, do we, they? Yeah, when they they come in with signals do that tell. They? Yeah, they're enraged. Yeah, they're enraged. You watch out. You don't go in anyone's path that's enraged. You're just like, why? They're nope. enraged for. You a, go ahead and take care of that lung. Just take it out. Just. They're enraged because they get signals that tell them to be prepared for war. And as they come in, they do not, I, I, I envision them as people. So I think that they have brains and they think about They're things. <laughs> I think that's a great analogy. It is true. And so they come in and they don't know better. They've been trained to just be angry at whatever foreign uh, adversary is present there. And my goal therapeutically would be to understand what they look like, uh, what receptors they express. And if I can find a way to leverage that understanding to then utilize it to carry a specific drug that would then um, dampen their toxic response. So that's the ultimate goal. I don't think I'm that close. We have identified a couple of lead targets uh, that... I would like to leverage in the next year, year and a half, mm-hmm. to see if we can utilize that for for those purposes. But uh, it's been a little it's been a little slower than I anticipated these first few years. Part of it because of COVID, part of it because it's difficult to figure out how to set up a lab, uh, like what people are the best people to 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 surround your, yourself with that would. That have the same type of drive for those type of goals, right? What yeah. was your follow up? My follow up is it wasn't necessarily that clinical, which was a good one. That was killer. But my thing is because you were talking about you wanted to connect people that usually wouldn't uh, work together, mm-hmm. and just kind of even though you have these very self promoting goals in terms of research and what you want to get done, I, I wanted to follow up with that is really standoffish to students who want to get into research. And I think that that's why there's a lot of students that don't get into research in when they're in grad school. And when you come into, like, I mean, everybody always joked with me when I first entered pharmacy school, oh, yeah, you want to do research. I mean, they still say, you want to do research, you want to do research, you want to do research. And now they just kind of, like, pin that on me. But it's very scary trying to walk in and say, okay, this is what I want to do. I have the drive, I have the motivation, but I have zero experience. And there are times where I've been turned away for that. Because they don't want to initially invest in giving you the backbone of what it is to be wet, like working on a wet, you know, just in wet lab. And so I think twofold. My question is coming there. First, do you think that we should have, aside from PSERF that we have, do you think that there should be um, more options for students who want to get into research? And that should, we should maybe help generate that path? Or do you think that research and the field of research is what it is? It's, and in my opinion, you can say what, it, say what you think, but it is a field for people that are driven. So if you want it, you're going to go get it. They, they don't need to make programs for that because if you want it, you'll go get it, right? Because that's how I've had to get into research. Yes, but the, I also think about um, underrepresented and underprivileged populations yeah. that might want to, exactly. but they never got any exposure to it. So they don't know that that's what they exactly. could be destined for. That was me. So the, yeah. the necessity of programs geared towards that way 
definitely uh, a big yes uh, in terms of uh, how to structure them. Uh, that's a, probably a part that I don't have full understanding mm -hmm. in terms of what type of funding opportunities exist or what does it take to actually put together such a program. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I'm there yet in terms of my career path. And when I say career path, it's just my ability to think beyond the lab mm -hmm. right now because mm -hmm. there is a clock. Like if you're imagining you as a student coming to a PI mm -hmm. uh, and wanting to do research and the PI in that moment is for some reason or another thinking primarily on the retention promotion aspect right. of, of their career, uh, they might have to evaluate the benefits to uh, the problem ratio in relation to bringing in somebody very junior. And when I say naive, just scientifically naive mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what they want to do. So that's plain devil's advocate <laughs> in terms of that. Um, on the other hand, I feel like there shouldn't be a no um, from the PI perspective. Uh, perhaps there's a component in which uh, the, the student coming in uh, would also have to be ready to take the... how about we do this other thing mm -hmm. that my lab is currently equipped to do? Because there's no real drawback, especially when you're very junior mm -hmm. in doing something that is not necessarily what you thought that you wanted to do. Right. Because you can come in and say, I want to solve cancer. Right. And I would tell you, we don't work in cancer. I, I really, I literally cannot right. address your needs, but we're doing these other things. So it's, it's a flexibility right. aspect from the perspective of the, the student. And uh, I, I partake in admissions in the graduate program, the, M, the molecular biology uh -huh. and biological chemistry. And there's a lot of students that come in and say, I want to do cancer. Right? Yeah. And sometimes I try to just provide perspective. I was like, what aspect of cancer? I was like, no, just cancer. Like, okay. And that's where some conversation may end because I don't have a follow-up right. to not try to steer them towards my lab necessarily, but try to keep their mind open to alternatives. Uh, and sometimes the most successful st students are the ones that are aware of that and they are willing to partake in a project that doesn't necessarily fit with what they wanted to ultimately do. Mm -hmm. But I also tell those same students that the project itself, you don't have to, you can't hate the project that you're doing, but you don't necessarily have to love that project right. to be able to become a critical thinker and potentially successful scientist. Yeah, exactly. So it's if everybody comes in with an open mind, I'm pretty sure that there is room in between. And I think that some of those deadlines associated with career uh, clocks might actually impact the ability of the PI to show that uh, flexibility. Okay. Hopefully that helps as it an does. answer. It does. It's just research it can be scary and people don't know where to begin. They, exactly what you said, they want to do this thing and it's like, no, I just want to get into a lab. Mm -hmm. I just want to get into a lab of, of self-dedicated people. I actually just go to say, am I going to vibe well? 
because if I don't work well with any of them, then it's useless. There's like, I could love your research, but if we just aren't not clicking it, the dynamic, it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? And I give it to the students as a 60, 40, 60% should be do enjoy the people that you got in touch with or you were exposed to. And 40% is, do you like the project exactly. in terms of in grad school? Postdoc, it's all about the project yeah. because that will shape your career forward. Exactly. But as a graduate student, uh, I think that that's the, the, the human component uh, plays a bigger role. And that's a tricky one yeah. uh, to, to sell to a student that wants to do a specific research. And I think that's a great point because especially in a lab setting, you work so closely with these people, especially as a junior grad student. It's really important to find people that you gel with. And I think in my experience, um, I have reached out to professors that just were not in the position of taking a student. And at the time, like that was a little frustrating, but um, I'm really grateful that they were able to be upfront and just say, you know, I really just don't have time for a student right now. And that helped me find someone that did have the time to work with me because I think when you're starting out, it's a lot, it it is really important to find a mentor that has the time to help you get to a place where at one point it will be more important um, what the meat of the project is. But when I was starting, it was great just to have someone just help me (laughs) a little bit. And there are some situations where perhaps it's not necessarily the PI, but there is a enthusiastic and passionate uh, graduate student or senior staff member that is willing to take you under their wings to to get started. Uh, and then as you become more self-sufficient, then the, the plus side of research is that you can do your little your, your little project and trying to to inch that aspect of of the question that you asked forward. Sorry, my brain's just spinning. That's a lot to process. I just want, I, I just, it, like I said, when I got my undergrad at the U, um, now they have something called the SRI, Student Research Initiative, which is relatively new. And that is a, a program for undergrads that help them get into labs. But when I was in finishing my undergrad here, um, I had to find, I wanted to get into research, not just for like the boost of my CV, but just out of curiosity. And I had to interview at all of these different types of labs. I went up at the Huntsman and it was, it was nerve wracking because you don't know what to say. You don't have any history. Your resume is all these other things. I'm old. And so they're like, what are you doing? And it's like, I don't know. I just want exposure. Um, I can tell you, I will work hard. But you have to put in, you know what I mean? You have to give me something. And so I think that I just want students out there who maybe have like a tiny little spark for research or an interest. I don't want them to kind of brush that aside to feel like they have to have certain credentials to get in into this field, Um, which is why we wanted you on today to talk about it. Because like I said, when we have PhD lectures, uh, there's this initial like standoff where you know, and no offense, but you have someone in this area, in this field, that's an extreme expert. And the vibe is almost like superiority, inferiority. And I don't think that that's really what research is about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes and, sense. And, and that's what I wanted you to talk about. It's just like, yeah, we're getting lectured by a PhD um, who maybe isn't always focused on counting pills, a.k.a. a pharmacist or a clinical pharmacist. Um, and and they instantly feel this. There's no relatability, but in fact, we all have the same goal of eventually helping someone 
somewhere Mm -hmm. with something. Right. And so I, like I said, I just wanted them, I just wanted the the vibe of, of researchers and those that are involved to, to kind of be a little bit more light and just be that we're approachable, that you're approachable, you know? Yeah. And and to to some extent, I am course master of a couple of courses uh, that the, the goal as I reach out to the potential speakers is always to try to um, emphasize that they, in particular, some courses are very foundational courses. So they, they start from a place of no experience with the exception of people that may have done that before just by chance. Um, I don't necessarily control (laughs) uh, the, the, the rhetoric for which every speaker comes in uh, or lecturer. Uh, But the goal is, always tries to focus on the on the material and trying to impart wisdom let's call it that uh and yes i, I would say that probably there are some instances uh, where it might have come through a little more uh, i have i'm here because i have to do it mm-hmm. and uh, i want to go back to my research as compared to i'm here because i want to mm-hmm. teach you this piece of the story that you might benefit one day as a professional. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, maybe this, maybe you have some input on this or maybe you don't, but as, as we were talking, the College of Pharmacy here does have a, a dual track PharmD PhD program. What are your thoughts about the, about students um, who maybe want to pursue this dual degree? Encourage, discourage, oh, no comment. So I don't have a comment per se on the structure of the PharmD PhD because right. I haven't been exposed too much right. uh, into it. Um, I have been actually working with a, uh, with a student uh, who's soon to be graduating for her PhD and got her PharmD here as well. So I think that she was part of that track unless she finished one and then started the next. Mm-hmm. I'm not super sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes as we were doing some bench work, uh, Side by side, we talked about some aspect of that. And the, the feedback that I got from her has always been positive in terms of having that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the, the basis is, is there a reason for having the program in the first place? And the answer is yes, of course. Um, there is a component of making sure that there is an awareness that you don't necessarily need those three extra letters at the end of your name. Yeah. And it's not something you want. It's, somebody, it's something that you need to pursue what you have realized during your PharmD that you have to do yeah. to be able to do what you want to do. And so uh, if that mindset is at the beginning of an incoming potential PharmD PhD student, that's a great place to be in, in terms of, I know that this is going to be hard. I know that this is going to test all the boundaries of my sanity. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm willing because I'm curious and passionate, mm-hmm. and I don't know necessarily that I will love what I'm gonna do right. in every aspect. But I know that this is something that will allow me to do X, Y, and Z right. in the next stages of, of of my life. Yeah, and sometimes that's difficult, and that's probably one of the uh, we haven't touched on necessarily. One of the difference between the training back in Italy and here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so starting from, they're all colleges in Italy. So it's narrowed 
in the context. So the training you get at the College of Pharmacy is pharmacy staff 24-7 from year one of the five years. So you're not required to get your uh, bachelor beforehand. It's You come from high school into the College of Pharmacy. And you're just exposed to as many potential options in terms of pharmacy and research. But then when you step back a few years before that, I went to a chemistry high school. So we have kind of, we set up everything in a professional uh, geared manner. Uh, my sister used to go to a, uh, uh, to a languages high school mm-hmm. so that she could do jobs related to utilizing language. So you're kind of shaped already in your head towards a specific field hmm. as you start. So there are professional schools that teach you uh, mechanical work, uh, electrician work, and those are literally high schools that basically at the end of high school you already have an expertise you don't need college per se interesting so you're a professional at the end of high school technically i did a chemistry middle school so i was within the science field from the very beginning of the way that my brain was shaped so i have been exposed to all of those and that's part of my stubbornness when i said Maybe you made a mistake. I was like, well, I made 11 years of mistakes, apparently. Right. I, I think that we are on the right track. Um, and so I think that that's a component that uh, perhaps I've seen more uh, PharmD PhD being successful in the context of uh, Europe to be broader than in the US, probably because there is less of a effort in terms of trying to channel your interest towards this field of science from earlier on. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really interesting. Could you imagine? I have a German friend who went to a music high school and then she did an exchange to the U.S. Mm -hmm. and then did like a complete 180 and went back and applied to medical school. But I don't know. I guess the rhythm of the music helped a little bit somehow. (laughs) Yeah, She'll I'm, know what she wants to play in her OR. <laughs> this is true. Wow. Yeah, that's. I would say that that's probably an outlier, I hope, in terms of going from music to medicine. But yeah, There's a correlation between music and medicine, though, and they both start with them. Oh, wow. So she's not too far. <laughs> music, medicine, I'm just kidding. But that's very interesting that you have these high schools of specialties, Mm-hmm. Like I've never, that's news to me. I must be living in a bubble, a self bubble. I, 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 it's wild, but, um, I think that, so, cause like I said, a lot of this podcast in new choice was really just for my benefit. Cause I'm also stubborn and selfish, but, um, back to like just choosing a dual degree and research and trying to decide, it's not that I'm not interested in pharmacy. It's just that I never knew what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had to be in science, in something, science, and then with people and with communication. Um, And I feel that, but I also like to be alone and I like to do do my own thing and and solve. And so the the reason that I am trying or the idea of, of it coming to be more of a actual path is the dual degree is because I also think that the communication between research and then clinical practice, that that is very much important, but that they're not communicating as effectively as they should be um, because you can't exist one without the other. 
And everything that we're talking to our patients has been developed, thought, planned, and assessed in some lab or maybe fry someone through an act of research, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're very much intertwined. And I think that having an opportunity to be not, not necessarily not necessarily the best, but proficient in both areas and having that exposure in both areas would make for a better mentor, make for a better, you know, clinical pharmacist for my patients. But then also I get to do what I need to do and have that option because I've been a gypsy and I could never decide what I wanted to do because there's many things that I want to do. And just like you, where you don't have an area that's super focused, you know, you have a bunch of all these other things, but we have something that if we're not doing that, that we're bothered, right? So if I don't pursue this, I know it'll be the biggest regret. And that's all that I can say is I know that this is always something that I've wanted to do. And I can't tell you what I want to do. I can give you tiny pieces of what I'd like to do, but I just know I have to do it because it's always what I've wanted to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and to, to, to that end, it's important to maintain the, the context of reality. Uh-huh. Uh, because if I sell you the PharmD PhD or the PhD life as this wonderful no, 24-7 party, <laughs> uh, it's it's a lie and then you will get gut punched. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it, it's it's that component that sometimes it gets oversold. Mm-hmm. Not that academia right now is being oversold in any way. Right. Uh, we lost an entire generation of trainees uh, post-COVID because there was no appeal and there still is very little appeal for continuing academia. Uh, but so once the the student or potential student is aware that it's going to be tricky, mm-hmm. if the response to that is, but I really want to know and I need to know and I need to do something about it, uh, then it will be a successful uh, PharmD PhD or PhD in general. Yeah. And that's what people ask. Like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I, d- I can't tell you that. I just know that I can't not be doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just cannot not do it. We have jokes that Liz is going to pursue a residency and a fellowship and a PhD all at the same time after we get our PharmDs, but we'll see. Don't be surprised. I don't doubt that she couldn't do it. I just worry about her work-life balance a little bit. There is none. Yeah, uh, it's, we can have an entire There's separate none. hour on the on that component. I have gotten significantly better, though. Can I get worse? Well, well I did reshape I the way the I wake up. I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, and I do an hour of work, and I find my prime time to be 8.30. I'm like the, I'm the sharpest at 8.30. And, and I only say, like, it can't get any worse because I probably feel very similar in terms of, I think I was like, I got better. Well, the starting point was not a very good starting point. So, sure, I got better, but... You want to tell people that? Oh, so faults. Just kidding. No, but it's true. I mean, it, it's not easy. And and that's the thing is, is everybody's telling me, everyone's said multiple times, it's it's not about the letters. Yeah, I'm not doing it for that. Um, and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I already know. Try living the life that I have now, but I've been semi-successful in that, you know? And so, and the, and, and that's not to say that I can't and that it won't and that there's going to be times where I just, it will not work out. And I've experienced when things just do not work out and it sucks. It is a very hard blow, but something else opens up and then we can move from there. So I just know that not pursuing it would not be a good idea. You know, it just, it just is not, it's not an answer. It's not an answer. 
So watch out, world. She's coming. Coming. <laughs> I'm coming. So I guess that's what I wanted to ask then is, and how do you decompress? Uh -huh. How did you learn to decompress? Uh, <laughs> so there are two answers to that. One is for the winter. One is for the rest of the year. Winter. Okay. Because the winter is tricky. Uh, for as much as I like outside, there's fewer options and I don't ski because I am not willing to fight gravity <laughs> down a hill on the snow. Uh, I've never thought of it like that before. I don't know if I ski anymore either after hearing that. I, to me, though, it's, it's, a, it's a battle that I shouldn't even pick oh on. Gosh. So, that, so I, I, re, I reduce sensibly the, the amount of options that I have here in Utah mm -hmm. by virtue of not wanting to go down the hill. Um, it's but, a hill I'm worth dying on. Yes, literally. Yeah. Uh, no. But so in, in the winter, perhaps there are some, you know, snow hikes, uh, um, gentle snow hikes, just to be outside uh, in, above the dome of sadness. Um, but predominantly it's been getting together with friends or colleagues or whatnot I have a little bit of a passion for board games. And so that is top been, three right now. It depends on the people. Nope, top three right now. I can never. Nope, I, top three. If the, you went to a board game extravaganza, what three would be in your back pocket? With other board game enthusiasts? Mm -hmm. yeah, I just said sure. a board game extravaganza. I would say probably Dead of Winter. That's a tricky one. Oh, I wasn't ready for that one. Uh, and you are not a board game enthusiast. No, because they're all... Azul. Uh, Azul is a, is a good one. Quirkle. Uh, Quirkle is a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Would you like more? Planted. So I I like suburbia. Okay. And, and then I've learned a couple of very small games. One of them... Splendor. Is Sushi Go. Oh, yeah. Sushi Go. I have that. <gasps> And mm -hmm. Kodama Duo. Oh, I've never heard of Kodama. What is that? So Kodama Duo is beautiful because it's a two people only game. Okay. So it's it's a nice one if you're stuck because you got no power or is knowing or whatever, and you're just playing with a partner or a friend or whatever or a roommate. Yeah. Um, and you're building somewhat of a tree of life, and mm. you have you get points based on what type of creatures live on the branch that you're adding. And it's, so it's, it's mystical, mystical. It's kind of it's, it's kind of neat. And I'm gonna add that to my list. I, I'm getting like spiritual settlers of Catan kind of. Oh, vibes. I love yeah. Catan. Uh, this one has there's no dice rolling. That's why I didn't list Catan as one of my favorite because I'm not good at rolling dice. Mm -hmm. So he's not your friend. So that yeah. So those are not games that I would predominantly go for. But in the rest of the year, it's usually physical activity or outdoors related okay. activity hiking running uh national parks just being by a lake uh, whatever gets me outside of the house uh it will help me decompress because if i don't have my computer or internet that's a win yes mm. mm. what advice can you give to someone interested in pursuing a career in pharmacy research or both yeah for me, so the, the the premise to that is that I everybody has a different path. Everybody comes from a different background. Everybody has a different schedule, commitments, and, and so forth. So I can only speak 
based on my personal experience. Uh, so that's the most important caveat uh, to this answer. Uh, but uh, Liz was mentioning earlier too, it follow your passion uh, rather than like, oh, I'm interested in doing this. That's not enough mm-hmm. to to get in personally uh, a PhD. It's just not enough to fuel that the, the struggle that sometimes comes along with uh, a degree like that. Uh, so it's follow your passion. Do not do it for career purposes, because mm-hmm. especially me, I don't want. Uh, I'm I'm trying to stay as 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 close as possible to academia for as long as I can hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And definitely it's not the place where I'm going to make the most money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not doing it for the money. Definitely not the, the direction that I, that I am taking. So if you follow your passion, uh, find alternative ways, and this is part of a systemic problem, but um, be willing to also uh, take an unpaid internship. I'm not supporting that notion, but sometimes if you really want to do it and there's no avenues uh for you to do it you're gonna have to find a way that you can continue to uh to partake into that experience Mm -hmm. and in a less than ideal version um and again i'm not supporting that idea but uh i when i came from from italy and came to the us i it was just for one exchange uh, semester, just to learn English. It wasn't for research. It wasn't for anything like that. The first lecture, the professor mentioned in the College of Pharmacy mentioned, if you want, you can uh, reach out to me for a, a work in, in my lab. I went there. It wasn't for credit. I wasn't allowed to get extra credits because the, the visa that I had was only allowing me to take three courses and that's it. And I could have picked Italian 101, English 101, and whatever. I took three pharmacy courses. And that first lecture, I followed up immediately. That person actually became my PhD mentor because then I worked in her lab for three months, went back home, worked in a pharmacy, got really bored of it. And she reached out and said, would you like to come back to, uh, to my lab for the PhD? And that's the part... I was passionate about those three months. I couldn't say no because I wanted to explore more. And so I bagged up and uh, just went. That's awesome. And so that's the part where like, I, I realized that it was something. I just got a little glimpse of it. Mm-hmm. And I just relied on that little glimpse that it could have been the path mm-hmm. that I was supposed to take. Mm-hmm. Or at least that I felt that is right for the, the person I am. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wasn't going to say no to any door that was opening. Mm-mm. That's yeah. what I said. You just never know how things are going to work out. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't. Well. <sighs> I also have the upside that if things did not work out, I could go back to Italy as a backup plan. So, oh, Must like, be nice I know, to go back a, to Italy as a backup plan. So that's the part where like, oh, just get to hang out in Italy. No problem. It just wasn't not as, a big deal. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't as big of a, a leap <sighs> of faith as perhaps other situations. but Italy to die. The food is the food good? Before we get to the budding question, is it good? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> I'm joking. It's got to be better than here. It's 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 good. Yeah, of um, course it is. It's uh, it's good. Homey. Yeah, exactly. L O V E love. Yes, it's made with it. Well, it takes a long time to make a good sauce. You can't just throw a sauce together in twenty minutes. Yes, it's a four-hour process of thickening and 
and get in. I life. just eat. Just feed me. They'd probably be like, yeah, come eat. And when, I'd be like, okay. When my mom comes visit, she puts together 20, 30, 40 pounds of pasta in the freezer. Uh, and oh, wow. I, uh, sharing I is caring. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't, you're in America. You share. Everybody's sharing. Oh, yeah. America is all about the sharing. Sure. I know. <laughs> wink, wink. I'm just kidding. I want pasta. Share your pasta. Okay. And it's almost gone. I'm going to tell, tell your mom. Well, she knows. I, I told her, like, when are you coming back? Because I need more. That's what moms are for, making pasta. Yeah, and in exchange, I'll take her to the national park. Oh, I bet she loves that. No, she hates exactly. it. Exactly. No mother it. wants that. She doesn't like hiking. No, so. she doesn't. Nobody, I, I don't even like hiking. That's an, that sounds like a just a disaster. But I think it. What do you Canyon want to do Lens. today? Let's go for a hike. Uh, how about no? But I think it to Canyonland. That's very visually appealing, and you don't have to necessarily. Can hide. you just make a slideshow of all the national parks and then sit me on my couch and show me them? And we can pretend we're outside. No, she enjoys the road trip part. We sing Italian songs. It's great. But then you put her on a hike. That's that's terrible. Just leave her in the car next time. You go on the hike. <laughs> oh, that's bad. With a, like, and just keep the window yeah, open. Just crack yeah, yeah, just crack it. Just crack it. Just some air. That's right. Not during inversion, though. No. Okay, so now it's time for the budding question. Mm. Are you ready for this? Yeah, Your budding question yes. is, <clears throat> this took a lot of thought, T-cells or B-cells? Which one's your favorite? Yes, you need to pick one. There has to be a favorite. That's the budding question. Wrote, Do not diverge. Don't also say there's two parts. I wrote Macrophage Forever. Oh, oh. what a plot twist. Uh, but between the TMB, I, I know, like, I, I think it's the one thing that unfortunately people know from the first time that I teach a class is that I could, couldn't care less about any other cell with the exception of. Now, with that said, with the choice between T and B, I would go for B cells. Why? Uh, there's something about them that we don't fully understand in relation to their role beyond immunity, like autoimmunity and uh, antibody uh, production mm -hmm. that kind of fascinates me. And I have a, I have a long-term goal of trying to link B cells to pulmonary fibrosis uh, beyond what is currently done, which is nothing. Uh, and so I, I, I'm i looking from afar uh, mm. at B cells as a potential future direction. I'm actually trying to recruit potential postdocs just so that they can, with an expertise on B cells, so that they could potentially emphasize this if there is anything to emphasize. So exploit B cells. It would be it would be nice. It's pretty cool. Macrophage for life. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that that was not going to be an answer. It was going to be if, something. If I was if I was ever going to get a tattoo, that would no. You're going to get a macrophage. I would get a, like an angry macrophage. Well, I guess we have to ask then why the macrophage. Uh, yeah, why the macrophage? Spartan macrophage. To, to some extent, is is driven by my graduate school mentor because. She was one of the early researchers uh, outlining their importance in disease. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that I have to necessarily love them because she loved them, mm -hmm. but I, I've come to know 
the many faces that this cell type has in the context of homostasis, disease, and any state, any disease state. And I haven't found a disease in which the these cells are not playing a role, and so they they potentially have that appeal pharmacologically as a as a targetable population that will partake in any disease state and we could try to i mentioned earlier reprogram or mm -hmm. uh, use as a conduit to to reshape regionally how the disease state uh, develops so that's my personal take robot macrophages dang it nanotechnology macrophage interesting don't steal ideas because that's where I'm going with it. I want nanotechnology because that's the, when you say what, nanotechnology, do you want to give them a little shield type I don't of situation? Know. Uh -huh. What do you want to do with the nanotechnology? I don't know. You just want to say nanotechnology. Maybe I, that's maybe maybe what it I'm is gonna, a good buzzword, but it is. But also, what if we made? I don't know. I have thoughts. You can you can think about it, but uh, I will probably go to the patent office before you say it out loud because otherwise uh, I'll, I'll take it. If it's about macrophages, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm going to put down my thought book. Okay. But that's all I do. But what if, like, seriously, biotechnology? There's, there's a lot delivery of... Delivery methods. There's a Drug lot of, delivery. Yeah. That's, that's, there's a lot of biotechs or even departments that yeah. are focusing on but delivering... macrophages. I know. And it's, it's up to being able to get to the right macrophages. Because right. if you... What if you just built a, a macrophage? A robotic macrophage. They're doing CAR M, you know, CAR T cells. Oh, yeah. They're doing CAR macrophages. Where have I been all my life? I don't know. Under mm. a rock. Well, they, 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 it's still early on. They haven't utilized cool. for purposes beyond, uh, beyond the experimental. I think, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe they're initially working on some trials related to that. But I think it still has a very small room. And at some point, uh, I'll hop into uh, into that realm yeah. uh, once I I figure out which macrophage I want to turn it from and into. Because that's two questions that I have to address address sure. before I I start <laughs> I start playing around with them. This is true. Reality, reality. Wow. There you have it, folks. All in all, in all, in all, you can do research, and if you want to do research, you can come harass Dr. Venosa. Yeah, of course, he'll find you a way to into yeah. the realm, or at least give you some advice. But right. worst case scenario, at least I can reroute you. Exactly, on some people that I know that are good, uh, good potential mentors, or yeah. they are willing and available to to help out yeah. students in interest interested yeah. in. And I think that's a big take home is that we shouldn't. If there is a little tiny like alarm that's going off for an interest in research in any sort of career, not just pharmacy, but any career, you should not be have fear in trying to either just explore that or want to explore it. Because I really think that that's what keeps the inquiry and the curiosity. So don't be fearful. Just go for it. Somebody out there is listening and or they'll, they'll help you. So there's the doors, are, the doors are always open, even if it is like what I did in cleaning Petri dishes for the first three months. If there is, you got to earn your keep. I did in a bleach room. If you have less. forty-five seconds, I have a funny story that supports that. We notion. have forty-five seconds. Uh, I, as a graduate student, second year, I was tasked to put together a a paper uh, 
it wasn't going to go for publication. It was an assignment. Mm -hmm. And the question was about hormesis, which is the process of which the same chemical at different concentration does opposing uh, functions. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, it was my first year, second year in grad school. I was learning English in that moment and I didn't know anything about hormesis. It was taking me a lot of time to just read the articles. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I found the phone number of this huge, huge researcher that has coined the name Hormesis. And I gave him a call in the office. He picked up. We spoke oh, for two wow. and a half hours. And then he said, I have to go home. My wife is making food. <laughs> Give me your phone number. I'll call you back after dinner. Oh, wow. And then he you called You made a me. friend. I know. It, and it was my first exposure. Literally, I'd never been to a meeting before. Oh. Like, so it, it was literally me just naive uh, trying to figure that things out without having to read all the papers, just going to the root. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, yeah. It, it went well, but then don't be scared of reaching out. That's That was the, 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 the supporting idea exactly. uh, in terms of. Yeah. What's the worst that they're going to do? Tell you now. Or not yeah. picking up. Yeah. Or, or not picking up. Else. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. And again, I think we learned a lot about what it is to research, but also just kind of pursue passion and to be passionate and to have continued passion even outside of the career and how it develops. And, and when the door opens, you go inside, unless there's any other reason to not go inside. Yeah, that's right. that's well Because, I mean, we can't say just walk into any open door because, heaven forbid, if we walked into every open door, there might be problems. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Metaphorically, <laughs> though, Metaphorically. you can keep the doors open. Yeah. <laughs> so well, thank, thank you for you. having me. Of course. Thanks for coming this on. This is the Farm Buds signing off. Until next time. Stay curious. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Farm Buds podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the University of Utah. Farm Buds is not responsible for and does not verify the accuracy of any information contained in this series. This podcast does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. The primary purpose of this show is to educate, inform, and allow those in the pharmacy profession to tell their stories. Mm -hmm.